Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation to Freedom's Path Recovery Society. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing your services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality and sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path or any other organization. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status, and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. John, I want to thank you, man, for coming on, and I really do love your uh, nickname, Hugger. I think, like, it's uh, it's funny because we always tease. I'm like a big AA, or I'm a fan of, I, I that's my fellowship. I mean, that's part of what I do to recover. It's not the only thing I do, but uh, we always joke about like NAers, right? Because NAers hug all the time and we shake hands, right? Like I think what we're starting to see though is we hug more often now because I see more True of us story. hugging. Yeah. True story. And I, I got my start in AA uh, and I'll get back to that in a minute, but let's, sure, man. since we brought up my nickname, let's let's yeah. uh, explain where the hugger John comes from. Uh, mm. Uh, my past is hard gangs, streets, LA, New York, Miami, mm. ugly, ugly places, uh, and doing ugly, ugly things. So, uh, I went from thugger John to hugger John. And the, what got me to be a hugger is, uh, I went to a meeting to take a friend to a meeting. Cause I, I hadn't been to one in a long time. And my friend just got their kid back, got out of jail, got all their, everything going good. And then they relapsed. Mm. And I was like, look, I will let you crash on my couch if you go to a meeting with me. And the closest meeting I could find was an NA meeting. Well, little did I know it was my higher power guiding me there. You know, under the pretense I'm helping somebody else. Well, and your higher power might have been in the form of somebody else. Oh, right, 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 right. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. so I I go to this meeting and uh, uh, I had learned over the years to hate me a whole bunch. So I call it the hate me club, the shitty committee between my ears, the stinking thinking, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, not that long before tried to hang myself, broke my neck in three places. Uh, and actually I'm, I'm, I'm jumping all over the place. Sorry. Anyway, where my name Hugger go, John comes from is I went in that meeting and, like four or five people instantly came up. It was like you said, an NA meeting and gave me a hug, but two of them, and I never forgot their name, but again, for autonomy, I won't, I won't share them. Mm-hmm. No uh, I can tell they meant those hugs. I could feel it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You could feel it. And they said, keep coming back. You know, the big uh, thing you hear uh, in yep. NA and uh, uh, for me, the person that hates me, which is me, I'm the captain of the hate me club. I the mm-hmm. hate me tribe. I started uh, to feel wanted and actually a little bit of love from somewhere. I was like, oh, shit, I'll be back tomorrow, you know, mm-hmm. because yeah. I, I wanted to feel that want tomorrow. And mm-hmm. that person that I took there to that meeting disappeared after having to go to the meeting. And I've never seen him again. Yeah. But funny how I've not missed 
a meeting except one day in the last three years of my recovery because wow. of that. Yeah. And it's the hugs that got me to come back. So I, 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 I will hug the shit out of everybody <laughs> that comes through the door. I will. Dude, I will. the way you describe, the way you describe that, it should make sense to everyone, even if you've never heard of the 12 steps, right? Like that is, that's powerful stuff, man. Like being like that, that gentle, loving, non-judgmental hug and touch, right? Like it is that, um, something like you, like you're describing, I've never experienced it before I came in. Right. Like right, I never right. experienced that kind of free flowing love between everyone, like not just, you know, not just the old women and men stuff, but like everyone. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's cool, a, a, man. A spooning hug without the spooning. Yeah, that's right, man. <laughs> <laughs> but so, no, and I could tell they meant it. Like I yeah. felt it and their words, their look in my eyes, like, please keep coming back or please come back they probably both said one or said one and one said the other but uh all right well i'm gonna go to this i'm gonna try my best to go with my experience strength and hope and start from the beginning but uh i am bipolar due to a lot of life's mm -hmm. happening so i might jump around a little but i will do my best to go from a beginning to end by the end of this podcast there's, there's absolutely no need to be anything but what you are my friend because uh you're amongst friends here. Yep. Right and, on, uh, bro. Web hugs. Might as well start with that. Web <laughs> hugs. Okay, I'll give you a web hug, man. Right, right on. on. Uh, so uh to to be frank, my my start in learning about addiction came before I was born. Hmm. Uh my brother, who's three years older than me, his dad, uh I have this, we have the same mom, different dad. His dad was a detective and a raging alcoholic. And when I say raging, I mean, his addiction was rage mm -hmm. and he was an alcoholic, which was his other addiction. Mm -hmm. uh, he would beat my mom's stomach and say, I'm going to kill this baby inside you. You're not going to have it. Uh, you're not going to have my baby. And so my brother came out disabled. So the second I was born, I was the older brother to the, uh, three year older than me brother and in school and stuff other kids would uh because he was he he wasn't even supposed to live he had water on the brain and you're talking 1966 before they had computers and all that but a miracle happened and and it leaked off and, and but he still you know he still has mental issues i like i guide over him to this day actually mm -hmm. he uh you know would go down the street and go and kids would spit on him from his grade and 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 push oh, him around and, and I learned to fight at a very very early age because that's my oh, brother, yeah, you know what I mean. I learned, to, I learned to fight uh, bigger kids, uh, and I'm already very short. I'm like five three right now, you know, and I'm in my fifties. So I, yeah. I learned I learned the hard way to uh, the coming uppins and stuff. But my point being, uh, I learned when I was born that there was. Uh, rage also from my mother uh i was the instant black sheep because i guess due to my birth from what she told me uh my dad got rid of her um uh, mm. i wish you were never born uh you were a mistake i wish i never had you uh and there was uh, usually some curse words involved in there too you know mm. uh you're a fucking piece of shit things like that and she would physically beat the living crap out of me and she had like i said mm -hmm. moved to canada and moved uh to married a canadian to get away from my brother's dad and escape him she changed her name changed our literal countries uh and mm -hmm. we got social insurance numbers and all that and uh 
uh, the, the, the abuse was so bad that at the age of seven and a half, eight, and the wonderful thing about my, uh, a lot of parts of my story, uh, mm -hmm. they're easily verifiable because when police are involved, there's a record. Yeah, you know what I mean? There's, yeah. there's documentation and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, anyways, by the age of eight, uh, I ran 30 miles in the Canadian woods with another kid uh, to, and literally through the woods, didn't go on roads. I was too scared that I, we would mm -hmm. get caught. And so was he. he, he came from abusive home too. And uh, we ran from uh, Cranbrook to Kimberly mm -hmm. and uh, uh, got caught there uh, because we had a fire and really we were maintaining the fire. It wasn't getting out of anywhere, but somebody saw us that owned property. And of course we were little kids. So we were a little scared and we wanted to be semi, uh, close to man. So they mm -hmm. saw us and came out and had a talk with us. And he actually told us he had ran away when he was young too. And he, uh, married his nurse or whatever, which happened to be the lady that was with them. Wow. And they swore they'd protect us. And the next thing we know, the cops are there picking us up and taking us home. And at that juncture, I was too scared to tell the cops what was going on at home. So I said, oh, my mom just spanks me hard. Oh, yeah. Well, as luck would have it, my mom was super abusive and super physically abusive. I've got over probably four to six hundred scars on my body, physical viewable scars on my body oh, from, from from the abuse, not including the mental and the psychological. I'm sorry, but, dude. So, yeah. Yeah. And and, and uh, uh, so when we get home he tells and this is what my mom told me after he left maybe you should be more stern with him so that was the first time I got to see blood hit walls from the bed from from what my uh, mother abused me with and she was a rageaholic so when I say early on I was introduced to to uh, addiction of of so many different forms she wow. used to take uh when I was a kid uh which is 50 some years ago they had bike chains with a uh, plastic wrap around the chain, mm -hmm. real thick plastic wrap. Well, she would take one of those that had a gouge in it that was broken and hit me with that. And it would take chunks out of my flesh. And, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, that was one of the abuse. And, and I kept complaining uh, at school and the other kids would even tell the teachers. And this is while we're still in Canada. I'm like eight, nine years old. I'm first grade, second grade. But anyway, uh, the kids would even say the teacher, you got it. Nobody would ever look. Mm -hmm. So finally, my mom moves back to America, and I think I'm I'm eight and a half. It was the year of Mount St. Helens, 1980, so maybe I'm I'm nine or ten. But anyway, uh, we moved back to America, and uh, uh, I had started smoking pot uh, at nine years old. That was where my addiction started kicking in, because I just was tired of it. And I, I the the first time I got high, uh, I was addicted right there. It was, mm -hmm. it was an escape from reality, escape, a numbing agent. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I don't know if it was two months later that I tried my first suicide attempt. Mm -hmm. And I came so close that I ended up three weeks in the Sacred Heart uh, Mental Hospital, mental ward part of Sacred Heart Hospital. Mm -hmm. Then they sent me to a, a kid's special for kids psychological evaluation mid-columbian tri-cities washington and they evaluated me and, and said i was saying mm -hmm. <laughs> that i that i came out all right well i went from there to foster wow. care yeah. and and in foster care my first foster home i got to experience physical and mental abuse there too so of yeah. course i i ran away i'm you know nine or ten mm -hmm. years old and i just i i don't want it i'm so tired of being a victim and as a child mm -hmm. there's not much 
much you can do. It and of sure course, any, yeah, anytime I can get a hold of pot, and back then pot was still really prevalent in Washington. A lot of people don't realize that my whole life I've been able to find pot really easy. It's 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 mm. it's uh, whatever the gateway drug or whatever they want to call it, alcohol. And mm. uh, so at my second foster home same thing a different type of abuse different people uh so i ran from that one uh and my third foster home i ran from that one they actually uh i lied uh they asked me about brushing my teeth and i said i did when i didn't and i guess you know i was a kid they could see mm-hmm. that obviously my teeth were all gooey i didn't i didn't brush them mm-hmm. so one of them held me down in the bathroom while the other one rammed a toothbrush in my mouth and gave me blisters all through my mouth mm-hmm. So at that juncture was my first time running out of state. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I went from Washington to Idaho. I literally hitchhiked. I just, I was trying to find something different. And in the meantime, don't get me wrong. When I could find pot, I, I was smoking it. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and my suicide attempt was actually a bunch of my mom's pills. Mm-hmm. She had all sorts of pills. And I was a little kid. I didn't know. I just had heard from enough people that uh, uh, if you pop them, uh, you know, uh, that's a way to die or the way to end it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, uh, by the age of 13, uh, they have me in my first boys ranch. And that one made national news. It was called Jay Bardi. And I'm not afraid to say in this name because mm-hmm. they don't exist anymore, but you can yeah. Google them. Jay Bardi uh, Boys Ranch that was actually about 30 miles from where I am now. Uh, weird how the world works. That and is that weird. Got shut down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It got shut down for... Uh, uh, all sorts of abuse. I got to see sex with animals. Uh, oh, am I free to, to, yep. to talk as I'm talking? All right. Cause I, I'm just, of course you are, be, man. You know, yeah. uh, not real descriptive, but I got to see a uh, bestiality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to be abused many different ways and, and they would call open season on the kids, the staff would. And what that meant is all the other kids could throw punches, kicks, rocks, bricks boots boots i don't know why but i just remember that quite a bit were a major thing Jesus that people would Christ, take off and, and throw at him until uh the staff would say close season and again this is verifiable in, in, in a google search uh as a matter of fact the, a big lawsuit's coming up that i'm a class action part of yeah. regarding that regarding that abuse that many years ago because some abuse like uh, there is no statute of limitations on it. Of course and, uh, not. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think they should pay. I wasn't going to be part of it, but the more I thought yeah. about it is all those other kids that went through what I went through, they they, mm-hmm. they should be held accountable and they should be made to pay. And if you actually research it, they uh, absolutely should. Man. The, yeah. The abuse was so bad that uh, one of the cops, when it was caught that he was in on it, uh, the mayor was in on it, Jim West and covering mm-hmm. it up. I mean, covering up the abuse so it could continue because there was a whole lot of sexual abuse through Mm -hmm. a few group homes and there was a little pedophile ring of let's get these kids and 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 take them camping or whatever it was there was just you name it that it it was done and uh one of those everywhere back then hey Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's here in this area that I'm at now. And one of the cops, when it came out, committed suicide before, because once his family found out and stuff, he he just he didn't want, you know, he knew he was done. He he was done. The cover up was whatever. Uh, And that was at the age of 13. Uh, By the age of 16, I had been in uh, another boy's ranch or two and just experienced uh, abuse, you know, um, from and. 
I got to give a little background here. Some of the mm-hmm. abuse I went through was because I was the minority. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're really, really young and you go up for adoption or in foster care, you have a chance of getting adopted. Mm-hmm. You have a chance of getting a real home that really wants you around that isn't there yeah. for that foster paycheck. Yeah, I was at the age that fuck that, you know, yeah. nobody wanted me. And so when I was in these group homes uh, and I'm not racist in any way or form, I'm just stating facts. I, I, I love everybody. I think everybody's huggable and worthy of a hug, mm-hmm. but there was predominantly uh, uh, dark skin or Hispanic and groups mm-hmm. of them in the group homes. Mm-hmm. So I was yeah. the odd man out and, mm-hmm. and I got to feel reverse racism well, I'm not surprised that there was an over misrepresentation of people of color, right? Like in foster care. Right, That's right. not surprising to me because up here in Canada, it's the same way. There's a misrepresentation right. in terms of indigenous kids to, and people of, and kids of color, right? People of color yeah. as opposed to white kids. Yeah. Well, and the younger we have a chance of getting adopted or, or yep. a, a long permanent foster family, the older, yep. you know, the, 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 they come with too many mm-hmm. baggage trouble. And, and of course, I was severely abused. So I, mm-hmm. I was a troubled child. I, I'm mm-hmm. not going to say I was perfect. I, I stole, I did whatever it was because I was on the yeah. streets quite often. I didn't want to be in the homes that were mm-hmm. abusing me. So I would, and, and that oh, kind I, of victimization I, leads to acting out every time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I skipped over a part. I'm sorry. Before I it's left okay, Canada, man. before yeah. I left Canada, I was abused sexually by two girls when I was in diapers. And I remember it because they were touching my my junk and, and, mm. and laughing and giggling. And then uh, when we moved to Cranbrook, I was uh, well, I want to say this as nice as possible. I was sexually assaulted so terribly bad on our church property by a kid from our school and our school was from preschool through high school it was one school cranbrook's a small town called central but the abuse was so bad that uh they brought the police brought the yearbook to me i pointed the kid out and never saw him again yeah uh so obviously if i never saw him again it was pretty pretty i don't want to get too descriptive because i don't want to get to crying and and, and, yeah uh, all out of my head but uh so i yeah because some of those details aren't aren't important anyway for for us to talk about right oh right 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 but the fact that it happened so other people oh and and i'm so sorry what i god what i wanted to say at the very start of this podcast Hmm. is to anybody that hears this i hope that you hear something that helps you in your recovery from whatever your journey was and helps you stay clean and get off or stay off drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you have no idea. And that's why I'm sharing a lot of my, you know, I'm scared and mm-hmm. nervous right now, but I know from my experience of being just barely three years clean now yeah. um, that my story can help somebody else say, Hey, it's okay. If I tell what happened to me, yeah. It's okay if I share it and, and, and unburden yeah. some of this pent down, kept behind the dark closets of our mind uh, burdens. So, mm-hmm. so uh, let me say that. Uh, and, well, and, and if you don't mind, if you don't mind letting me say that, John, like I've known you for 25 minutes and I think your nickname is a hundred percent proper. I want to give you a hug so bad, dude. Like it, it's <laughs> like, Anyway, I won't interrupt you again. Please, please continue. Oh, no. Right. And, and, and again, I'm new to podcasts. I'm sure there's points where you will want to comment and it'll help me, believe it or not, to cycle through all the scatter that I I got, because again, we're going through 50 years of trauma in in this time. And and I'm so grateful that you uh, give me plenty of time. So I will be able to jump back and forth a little bit. 
and, and I'm super grateful to finally be able to tell my story in a mm. recovery platform of some sort, yeah. not just partial and jam it into five minutes because I'm yeah. a speaker or 20 minutes because I'm a speaker. I literally yeah. get to open up and, and mm. share a lot of this. And, and I'm glad I you appreciate your vulnerability, John. Oh, thank you so much. And, and yeah. really, if, if you ever get a hug from me, you'll know, you'll know without a question that you'll feel it. Well, something uh, like and, that might go on my bucket list by the end of tonight. <laughs> <laughs> right but uh yeah and uh so I, I truly hope that if anybody listens to this that somehow it inspires them to stay clean or come clean to their therapist about some of the damage they went through because trust me uh I, I went through it all and, and 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 if it wasn't that kind of bad abuse as a kid I was scared of the dark why would I uh, run 30 miles through the woods mm -hmm. in the Canadian woods following railroad tracks if it yeah. wasn't bad abuse and 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 be ready to deal with bears or whatever yeah. you know i mean I, I was a kid with his his own natural normal common sense fears i mm -hmm. guess you could say because i was a tiny little guy and i probably would have been good bear fodder but uh uh <laughs> yeah know, me too so, most of us are <laughs> going through the the foster care system the last home i was telling you about there was just uh mm -hmm. that incredible abuse and then the the next one there was just uh so much abuse i got tired of it and once i was labeled a runner most fo foster families uh didn't want me you know and and to give an example of how psychotic my mother was i'm going to give a couple of my favorite ones or at least it's not really my favorite i shouldn't say it in that context mm -hmm. but it's a good example of of psychotic uh, uh two of them one i would accidentally break a dish and get the fuck beat out of me and when i say mm -hmm. the fuck beat out of me i mean the fuck beat out of me uh my mom used to when i was in diapers like you bowl you know how you take three steps and you throw the ball well she would take yeah. three steps and punch me in my diaphragm i actually have a permanent uh scar thing on my diaphragm it's a bubble that nobody else has yeah. to this day uh and it would every time it would knock the wind out of me i mean i was in diapers and and it was even Ooh. just after diapers but that's that's my first uh you know and uh and she would do that kind of stuff to me when i broke a dish but the very next time i'd be crying and all balled up and scared shitless you know that i broke whatever it was uh and she'd come up to me and be like why are you scared? It was an honest accident. You know, mm -hmm. uh, people have accidents. I'm not going to hurt you. Mm -hmm. And she would call me baby Johnny or Johnny, even, you know, she wouldn't say son so much, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, so my other favorite example is my mom was so messed up that I literally, I would be at the window looking at her face expression and aura in the car. When she got home, do I need to be downstairs out of the way in my room? Oh, or can I be out of my room and be okay? And I actually, yeah. I forgot to mention this part. The stress was so bad. I got eczema where your feet crack yep. and they would crack so bad that I had to wear special socks because if I didn't, the socks would get caught in those cracks that were so deep, like literally some of them to the bone. Yeah. And then the pus would dry and I wouldn't be able to pull the socks off without soaking them off. Yeah. And I also got what are called stomach migraines. A lot of people haven't heard of those, I've but they're, they're that. that's right. Uh, that's where your stomach just clenches so much tension. All you can do, it's like a reg and I get regular migraines too, by the yeah. way, but I would roll on the ground and moan and cry and, and yeah. hurt just so bad. And, and when I say a head migraine, I would be throwing up, sweating, mm -hmm. uh, 
coughing and just crying. That's all I could do. They hurt so bad. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so, you know, but anyway, so I, uh, this one time I was sitting there at the window and she looked like I was okay. Mm -hmm. So I went to the top of the stairs cause she'd come in the door and there was stairway downstairs to the basement and then a stairway upstairs. There was no floor right where the door was. And she shut the door and looked at me and said, did you take such and such out of my purse? And instantly my high mommy went to, Oh fuck, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, cause I knew uh, something's going to happen. And I said, no, because I had, I said, no, mommy, I didn't. She comes up about three steps and her face turns a little more to that rage face where I know, mm -hmm. all right, things are not going good. Yeah. Did you take such and such out of my purse? And now I'm getting really scared. And I'm like, no, no, mm -hmm. no, mommy, I didn't. And then she comes up the last few steps and gives me that look like, you know, I, it's the look I knew. I'm getting the fuck beat out of me. There's no question. Did you take such and such out of my purse? Well, I started crying really hard. And so, even though I didn't, I started crying super hard and said, oh, okay, mom, I did. I did. Yeah, I did. And then all of a sudden her demeanor changed to the most calmest whatever. And she goes, now, Johnny, I want to know the truth. Did you take such and such out of my purse and she said it in such a kind way i was bawling really hard and i said no mommy really really i didn't she goes i know and walked off oh jesus man so she so she proved oh. to herself that she was uh you know a rageaholic or whatever a psychotic yeah. that she was abusing me till i said what she wanted to hear rather than Ooh. the truth damn uh, dude yeah and well i can only I'm, imagine what your anxiety was like man because right now i have a, a knot in my gut for you like as you're telling the story like that's powerful shit man unbelievable yeah me too i'm actually i can't I, i'm not gonna lie i'm i you can feel it probably through the screen when i when yeah. i relive this and i say this stuff you know i i uh she's dead now and yeah. and god rest her soul i love my mother as fucked up as that may sound by the time i'm done telling some of the things she Doesn't did she my up, mother man. She was she, your mom, yeah. Yeah, she was my mother. And another wow. example, I came home from a home visit. I forgot about this one. I came for home for a home visit uh, from foster care. And she had made these uh, toothpick crosses with uh, yarn on them as a loop to go as ornaments on the Christmas tree. Mm -hmm. Well, she got me Captain Kirk and Dr. Spock dolls and stuff. And so I used those crosses as swords. They look like swords to me. Mm -hmm. for my dolls and I broke one and she came in and started doing her extreme abuse beating the living fuck out of me so bad you're a Jesus hater you hate mm -hmm. God and again I never should have had you know that and she abused me so bad I literally in December because it's Christmas time uh, in Spokane Washington where back then the snow was pretty deep I literally ran out the door and hid in the doghouse where she couldn't get to me she couldn't get in the hole to the doghouse. She was too big. Oh, and, and that's another example of the, the, the abuse uh, mm -hmm. and the psychological, like, you know, I, I, uh, my higher power, I choose to call God and I believe in God very much, mm -hmm. even though I, uh, you know, went through uh, that kind of abuse. And she was also a Sunday school teacher, mm -hmm. but anyway, uh, so man, that's nasty. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, but it gives more background of, of why yep. I chose drugs to numb uh, you know, the, yep. uh, the sexual abuse, the physical abuse, she didn't mm -hmm. do any physical sexual abuse, but she did mental sexual abuse. And I'm not mm -hmm. going to get into exactly what she said and how yep. she said it, but, but it's that okay. was there. She never physically, uh, 
inappropriately touched me in mm-hmm. my memory to any, yeah. but she did verbally fuck my head up with, mm-hmm. with, uh, that kind of stuff. And so, uh, I start running away, uh, and I'm obviously already doing pot. I've done Coke and acid by now too. At, at 13, I remember a bunch of us from our group home, uh, went to this store that we knew there was only one person working at, and there was no cameras back then. Again, this is God, if I'm 52 now, uh, 40 years ago, basically. Mm, Uh, and we knew that that one person had to take the garbage out. So we all sat there with one of us spying her. It was a lady actually. And the second she opened the one door, we opened the other door. So they both ding at the same time. Cause it was like a a flying J or whatever. And six of us ran in and grabbed, two 12 packs each and ran out and laughed because she couldn't mm. do shit what, what yeah. is she gonna run out after us you know which mm. it, it's not funny but i'm just saying it was the adrenaline the kid shit and mm. uh we ran through a field uh to our group home which was called alpha house and that was all sh- so shut down uh mm. for real bad uh things happening and I, <laughs> I i always i always got the winners uh and so, uh, and I'm well, I think I- it also speaks to what the, the state of support was like back then, right? Like it was just, it was that bad everywhere, I think. Right. Oh yeah. And I, and I'm glad you said the, the support part, I might've forgot part of this story. So, so, uh, anyway, we get back, get drunk. I had snorted no dose that night and, uh, the, the monitoring of us kids was so horrible. It was actually an ex, uh, air force base and they had the old fashioned pump gas thing for airplanes there was no longer gas that would pump out of it but the pump would work and we'd light lighters and make it like a Mm flamethrower uh and you're talking well we also we also would huff the gas or whatever yeah and and the, the 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 monitoring of the kids was just so not right it just it it wasn't right uh they would let the kids fight uh even kind of instigate it and have everybody stand around while they fought uh and i remember i I remember how back ass words it was too one time this really big biker lady happened to be the only staff there and this kid had stole my comics and he was carrying them Mm -hmm. and so we kind of got in a little physical altercation and I wasn't letting him take my comics. And so I flipped him over me and he hit the ground. And the next thing I know, the one staff members got me in a full Nelson and he punches me in the face. She doesn't let me go. She tells him to stop. And of course I had to be dumb enough to call him a pussy for hitting me while I was being held. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, hopefully I'm free to speak. Sorry. I don't yep. mean to. It's all to good. But there, I this episode is going to get an extra warning for everybody. It's all good, man. It's important yeah, to make sure that people were ready to hear it though, right? Right, right, yeah. right. And and I'm being honest, you know what I mean? 100%. I'm not trying to hide, you know, the, the the verbiage or whatever. So a lot of people have heard that word before, trust me. It's true. So yeah. So so uh he hits me again and uh I get madder because she's holding me and I'm screaming, you know, let me go, whatever mm-hmm. this to me, it was very highly unfair. So mm-hmm. I call him that, you know, that that P word again. And then he hits me as hard as he can, puts my tooth through my lip. I ended up having to get stitches over it and everything. And I still had to call him that word. I was like, you know, I was at that point, you know, by then I had been abused so much. Mm-hmm. Oh, which makes me want to back up to my mother, how psychotic she could be. Uh, one time, not long after I had ran away to uh, 
Canada, I mean, sorry, to Kimberly from Cranbrook, she was, she came home and she just started laying into me. I can't remember what, you know, when I was, I was a kid, I, I, maybe I stole some change out of her purse or whatever. I might've done something wrong, but she started beating me with that one belt I told you about. Well, it's not really a belt. It was a tube of plastic with the tear in it. And I don't know why, but I was looking at her face expression and I started laughing mm. and her face expression got worse and she started mm. hitting me worse. I laughed harder. I, mm. I, it was that point that I had been abused and the pain was so incredible spiritually mm. and physically that I hit that threshold, yeah. you know, uh, and, and I, uh, the harder her face got, and I probably should have never looked at her in the first place. Mm. I don't know why it got, it was funny to me, but I laughed to where she finally threw the belt down and left. Mm. And then I started crying because I thought I was going to die. I thought, yeah. you know, uh, I, I was done and I shouldn't laugh about it, but whatever. I started crying. You survived then, it. You're allowed to laugh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when she came back in, she, uh, she, I don't know why she was so understanding about it. Maybe that she knew that I was going to reach that threshold. And she was also uh, very badly abused as a child too. That doesn't make what she did right. No, uh, but it doesn't surprise break, me. Yeah. Yeah. We're supposed to break the cycle and I was blessed enough to do with my kids and uh, right on, man. Uh, but, but uh, anyways, so uh, I start running away. Like I said, I'll skip around. But mm -hmm. I wanted to give you a little more backstory on my mother and how how uh, there was so mm -hmm. much trauma and psychological trauma that uh, no wonder I, I, you know, as I look back on it and reflect now, I took to drugs and loved drugs and loved the escape. And uh, uh, the, the J. Bardee Boys Ranch they put me in that I was telling you about earlier, uh, I kind of became a drug kingpin there. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, which, you know, uh, and I'm not trying to glorify it. Let, let me mm -hmm. put it in, in a proper perspective. We would work and we'd get money uh, in what's called a receipt that we could turn in every Friday to get our cash. Mm -hmm. Well, I got a hold of a little pot and, uh, and I also worked my butt off and got a bunch of my receipts because the other kids weren't re ready to work like I was. I, you know, I wanted my money. Uh, and mm -hmm. that was one thing I got to say to my mom. She put a good work ethic into me. I, I learned to, to do mm -hmm. things like top wood and pull weeds and things at a very, very early age. Uh, and, and she was smart. She would fix our car herself. And, and I learned to that, you know, there's not much you can't do, mm -hmm. even if you're a single person on your own. If you can read it in a book, you can, you can do it basically. Yeah. Gotcha. So, uh, I, I, I took the, my, my pot and I bought other kids receipts because they allowed that. So you got a dollar an hour, I would buy a three hour receipt for a couple of tokes, mm. you know, and so by and then when I got that good money, the first couple of times I saved mine. And I waited till the middle of the week and I bought people tobacco, I'd buy them a 68 cent, you know, I'm dating myself here, but top was like 68 cents, a bag of top or bugler back then. And I would trade that for a $3 receipt. Mm -hmm. So before you knew it, I was paying the biggest kids there to protect me. So I didn't get bullied anymore. I didn't mm -hmm. get beat up anymore. And, uh, and I'm glad that uh, God put, you know, as screwed up as that may sound, I'm glad God gave me a brain to where I found a way to be protected, mm -hmm. you know, uh, cause abuse just, it, it got old. Oh, uh, man, did it ever. So yeah, you name it. It's, it's been done to me horribly. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and, and there's, tons of documentation uh, about it throughout my life. There's actually, again, the J. Bardee deal made national news. Mm -hmm. uh, Alpha House made local news. Uh, 
and yeah, there's, there's other things I'll get into later. So anyway, I, by 13, I had already done cocaine, acid, pot, and uh, by 16, oh yeah, when I got out of Job Corps, I went to Job Corps because I, I didn't like the one uh, where the, like I said, there was other ethnic backgrounds and I was the, the, the odd man out uh, and they were all abusing me, spitting on me, pushing me around and just the abuse from other kids, you know, it just, it was too much for me. Yeah, and I remember, no doubt. I remember the staff there. I'm sorry. I, again, I'm jumping around. Mm -mm. You had uh, brought up the part about uh, the, the staff being true support or, or doing the job they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Well, this kid snitched on us for passing a bottle of Bacardi 151 over the fence. The staff came out and said, he snitched on you, take it farther down the fence and pass it over. Mm-hmm. Wow. When they should have said, no, you shouldn't be drinking. They let us skip school every day. Yeah. We'd say, fuck you. And, and they wouldn't do nothing about it. Excuse my yeah. French. But and uh, we'd play the, the video games they had there, or the mm -hmm. pool or the, the, the foosball or whatever. So there should have been more accountability. They should have mm -hmm. been more structure and they should have. But God, I think all they really had to do was give a shit and then things would have changed. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. If they would have uh, just gave a shit. Right. Yeah. And when I look back on it, that's another reason why I, I want anybody that listens to this podcast to uh, hear me tell them whether I've met you, I love you. You're valid. If you went through any type of abuse, I for surely can relate. And I truly hope that this podcast helps you in your recovery journey. Uh, and, and, and you deserve hugs and you deserve to be loved just because you're you no other fucking reason and i mean that from the bottom of my heart and oh, now yeah. i know I, thanks john i knew i'd probably cry at some point but that's uh, okay man so many children today like mm. i saw something a few years ago about over i, I want to say it was seven hundred thousand unaccounted for foster kids mm -hmm. like that's disgusting yeah, man. that's just sad. And and foster care is not what it's cracked up to be. It's disgusting uh, how we have said that we care about children, but we have proven time and time again that our society does not care about children. Right. The lip yeah. service they pay to it is basically lip service and nothing more. Right. Um, right. Because we, like you said, there are so many unaccounted children. There are so many dead children from these like schools whether they're residential schools or uh schools for uh, foster homes down in the states foster homes up here the, i mean these things are notoriously um difficult to live in those environments right it's notoriously difficult because of the abuse right and the not caring or yeah. or you get somebody in charge that has friends it's like a pedophile ring and they end up being uh, the other staff members and they yeah. they cover each other's back and and now that i'm on this i know that yeah. there's going to be plenty of adults that were children that went through this as well that listen yeah. i hope uh and uh uh they need to hear that uh it's not good out there and that, that something should be done about it uh, the types of abuse that happens in there and, and what I, another thing I didn't like, and again, there's so much proof of everything I say, I was raised by the state. Again, they're doing a motion for discovery or whatever through the, the lawsuit that's happening with my name mm -hmm. attached to it. 
to uh, Washington State because I, I forgot to mention this part, I think, but I became a ward of the state. The state yeah. was my legal guardian, my legal parents. So anytime yeah. something happens, there's triplicate in paperwork about it. Mm-hmm. Well, what I got to start hating is if I got sexually molested, mm-hmm. uh, I had to tell my counselor about it. I had to tell my therapist about it. I had to tell my psychiatrist about yeah. it. I had to tell my caseworker about it. And if cops were involved, I had to tell the cops about it. Mm-hmm. And you're reliving it each time. They got to find another pattern for these children oh, rather than make them go over it and over mm-hmm. it and over it. Yeah. I, I just, I firmly feel there's got to be a way where somebody goes, hey, that is a little fucking ridiculous. Yeah. The kid went through the damage. Let them tell the story once and record it if you got it. Yeah. But leave the child alone after that. Don't make him relive mm-hmm. it, relive it. And, and I got to be fair, uh, as I got a little older from not just nine, but in the 13 and 14, when that kind of stuff happened, some of them, it felt like they were enjoying the story and they were getting off on the story themselves. Uh, and, and, and we know that's prevalent, you know, uh, uh, in, in, in every field, there's, there's yeah. sick people. You got and, that and right, man. Yeah. And, uh, so anyway, I, I get more and more into drugs. Uh, and, uh, at 16, I was just so tired of it. I ran away. Oh yeah. I didn't, when I got out of job Corps, this is another wonderful thing about the state taking care of me. I, I got my GED while I was there. I didn't finish Mm -hmm. getting a culinary arts degree, but I had plenty of training. So since I got my GD, I'm 16 and I can start work, right? Well, since I'm the state's parents, instead of the 335 minimum wage an hour at the time, they make me work whatever job I get, it has to be a dollar an hour. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, this, I thought that was pretty unfair, but Mm -hmm. whatever. I, I, I wanted to get out of the home they put me in because the home they put me in, and again, there's records of this, they can't deny it. Out of Job Corps was a home where every single kid there killed a parent or another human being except me. That's oh. what they had available for me. Oh so they God. put me in a home. And, and again, I'd have a record if I killed somebody. Yeah. I've never done that kind of damage to another human being. But well, the home how old they put were you? In, you want to talk about a new, a new level of tension. Yeah. When I know every single kid there killed somebody. Jeez. Uh, no wonder I wanted to get a job. And of course, uh, I got the kids their pot. We would be mm-hmm. tested once a week. So we would, uh, which was Friday and we'd all smoke on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and the guy there that did the test was cool and would cover it up. You yeah. know what I mean? As fucked up or not fucked up as it is, maybe he understood we needed some sort of escape. Actually, it makes sense considering everything else you'd shared. <laughs> Yeah. Right, well, yeah. It's not surprising. Uh, I'm surprised you, you haven't told us that they fed you booze too. <laughs> no, right? no, no, yeah. no, they didn't feed us booze. No. And I, and I, I, again, I don't need to embellish any of my no, story. Of course it's not. So real and so yeah. heavy. Uh, uh, I've had therapists tell me they can't believe I'm as sane as I am mm-hmm. because of the stuff I've been through, but I'm, I'm thankful I am enough to share mm-hmm. my story. So hopefully somebody else hears it mm-hmm. and hears that you are not alone. I've been through it too. And I pray that you get healing. And again, uh, I hope this helps anybody that hears it in their recovery journey, whether it's from abuse, drugs, alcoholism, uh, whatever their addictions are, whatever their uh, ways of coping were and whatever the abuse they went through. I hope that they get something in this podcast uh, mm-hmm. from the bottom of my heart that, that helps them progress in a healthy manner and be part of the solution in, in their healing. Um 
so anyway, uh, I, I, I run from that home, obviously. I, you know, number one, they're not letting me have my money either, by the mm -hmm. way. Not only am I working for a buck an hour, but I don't get my money. They're my parents. They dictate it. They control. And so I just, I got so tired of it. I ran away again. Oh, and they put me in what's called the CRC crisis residential center on the South Hill. And uh, when I went from there, they wanted to put me in a, another group home that was uh, just like an hour and a half to two hours away from Spokane in the middle of the woods and middle of nowhere. And when I get there, it looks like this really cool place, but I'm thinking, man, if they abuse me out here, where do I got to go? Yeah. You know? So I'm like, I tell them straight up. No, I'm, I'm not mm -hmm. doing it. I'm not staying here. I have the right to choose. I had learned that much by then. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not, I, there's no way I'm staying here. Plus, I had a girlfriend, being real honest, that told me she was pregnant at the time, which is its own story. But anyway, mm -hmm. so he takes me back to Spokane and literally drops me off on a corner downtown Spokane and says, I got no other place for you. A few people got fired for that incident. Oh, geez. The state's my parents. They cannot mm -hmm. do that. But yeah, they did. And my not. mom actually stood up and got him fired. My my brother told me about it. My mom actually threw a big fit and got people fired because... Mm -hmm. If you're the parent, because you're so much better than the bad parent, that's not what you do with the child. No. You don't you don't put them out in the middle of Spokane uh, and drop them off in the early 80s or mid 80s. So I decide to run away to California for my first time. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I'm 17, I think just before 18, uh, I'm hanging in Hollywood and I get to find out a whole new level of predatory Mm -hmm. predatory stuff and now i'm introduced to meth uh which became my new favorite drug mm -hmm. uh pcp which will scramble a brain and acid like mm -hmm. those are drugs you shouldn't put a 17 year old on mm -hmm. and i have a a guy well this happened more than once these guys will be hey you want to buy you lunch they'll hang out at the the places you, the kids hang out and you'll think they're cool because the other kids will introduce you to them mm -hmm. but you don't know you're being groomed you don't know you're being you know yeah. uh lean towards some more sick atrocious shit yeah. and uh uh one day this guy offers me about a month's worth of pay minimum wage was 335 an hour mm -hmm. he offers me 400 bucks and hands me a book that he tells me is outlawed in the usa and it's uh well you, you got an editor so if this ends up not being right I, I apologize but it's how to fist somebody oh okay and because i had little tiny hands yeah and and you know pcp uh little meth and and, yeah. and offering me a month's wages uh, yeah. needless to say, uh, that ended up something I ended up doing. And then from there it became peeing on people, crapping mm. on people, uh, the, the side of prostitution, a lot of people don't talk about where mm. there's no real sex involved. It's yeah. well, I guess with the fisting there is, but I mean, the yeah. peeing, the crapping on, mm. uh, things like that. So that, you know, I'm 17, 18, and this should not happen to children mm. and, and there needs to be more done about this but you know and that's hopefully what this podcast leads to so obviously i get more and more involved in drugs i start shooting up and uh you know uh using a syringe or whatever uh and uh get involved in more gangs worse gangs doing really 
really bad stuff. I was in the Gap building uh, and left it a couple hours before its final burn down. It had burnt down three times, but it finally, and this is the Gap building on Hollywood Boulevard, mm-hmm. uh, it finally burned down so bad that they tore it down. But we had been staying in it, staying in it because it was an abandoned building. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we used to make the cops have to keep buildings open or construction companies because the law was if somebody was sleeping in it within seven days. This is also 40 years ago or 33 yeah. years ago or whatever. Uh, you could not tear the building down. We kept the old Levi brick building open on Hollywood Boulevard. And, and I think it was Hollywood and Western area open for almost a year and a half past when they were trying to tear it mm-hmm. down because we kept going in there and, uh, we call them squats back then. Mm-hmm. And what we would do is we'd go to a floor and we'd change it around, but we would kick the floor out and say the bathroom or one mm-hmm. corner of the bedroom. And that way we could drop down to the next floor down. Well, the cops come in there at night with their flashlights and stuff. And even with their dogs, they couldn't mm-hmm. come running through there because mm-hmm. they don't know where they might fall to their literal death, two or three, three floors. Yeah. And it became a game with us. Like it was the adrenaline rush, get mm-hmm. high and, and see if the cops could catch us. And you want to yeah. talk about an adrenaline rush, have a dog chasing you through a building where <laughs> a German <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, uh, no, thanks, man. <laughs> we get addicted <laughs> to different things. And, and for yep. us, then it was a little meth, a little adrenaline. And uh, I totally get it, man. Yeah. Those, those little land sharks though, man, they, they're scary. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, they are. Yes, I'm too old now to play that crap. I'm just thinking about like, how I'm so lucky. But yeah. obviously, we would, we'd we'd be like tunnel rats or whatever. Mm-hmm. In Vietnam, we would run around and find our own hole, drop down in it. And the dogs couldn't do it either. They can't just because there'd be jagged wood, you know, mm-hmm. coming out. There, you know, oh, well, don't get me wrong. They could and sometimes they would. But that's why we would keep running when mm-hmm. we drop down to the first hole to a next hole and drop out that and then be out the back door and are they going to yeah. spend 70 cops to roust a few vagrants out of a building? No, they're not. I they sure just hope send not. Them. Well, no, <laughs> yeah. right, right. But my, which, which helped us keep it open for like literally a year yeah. and a half, year, year and a half past when they were supposed to have tore it down. But it was kind of also our way of, of being rebellious. But so I, I, I go from there, believe it or not, I try to change my life around. I get to uh, Orlando, Florida. And uh, I forgot to say, I'd also on my 18th birthday, I was at the Beverly Hills food stamp office getting on food stamps my first time Mm. uh, to find out that uh, supposedly my mom had adopted me Mm. or and she told me she gave me up for adoption, but readopted me and changed her mind. But anyway, uh, so uh, uh, I take those food stamps and that paycheck because they put me at a place called the Weingart which was literally, and, and uh, I'm just, I'm just being demographic uh, mm-hmm. explaining, but everybody in the Weingart was downtown Watts, LA. Mm-hmm. There was not a white person there. Yep. And I was 18 and 110 pounds, you mm-hmm. know, on method that, uh, and I had all my food stamps. And when I got to my room that they assigned me with the key, you could see that door had been kicked in repeatedly. Mm-hmm. So I kindly took one look in the room left and never went back. I took my food stamps and hitchhiked up to uh, New Orleans for Mardi Gras mm-hmm. uh, and, and stayed at uh, Covenant House, which was a place there. And I, I had a 
like and i thought it was the coolest thing back there because back then because i was 18 and there was this 60 some year old lady doing cocaine with me in the street you know she pulled it out of her little vial Mm -hmm. and i was sitting there panhandling and her and her her kids they were probably 30 stopped and did some cocaine with me and i'm like wow this is cool so that didn't help promote me getting off drugs Mm -hmm, but anyway so i go from there I run away and I end up in uh, uh, Buffalo, New York at a Franciscan friars place, uh, which is a, another religious thing. And mm. it ended up being that because I wouldn't sleep with them, I got kicked back out on the streets. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, Wait, are you and- trying to tell me that monks were trying to be naughty with children is that what you're trying to tell me yeah yeah. i I get the humor there but yes yes you know and and it's sad it's sad it's it's tragic man yeah yeah, to me i'm still a child at 18 you know what i mean or whatever it was 18 19 17 we're still kids we we know it didn't matter to them anyway right yeah oh no oh no and we could hear their at nighttime because their quarters were upstairs we could hear some fucked up whatever it was going on up there uh and uh, and that was another grooming situation i kind of was dude under i was led to understand what would happen when they finally called me in the room i didn't do it and i ended up uh on the on the streets again and i actually because i'd lost my id uh i ended up in uh on a amusements of rochester a carnival going from buffalo new york i went with them to ended up to be ridgeway pennsylvania before i left the carnival for its own trust me back then the carnies they had every drug you can name and their own own sick shit happened in carnivals man they were notorious yeah no doubt they were notorious for being like that subculture that was i guess anti-culture yeah yeah uh, I mean, for reals. And uh, uh, I mean, you would so, know more of the details. I just heard the stories. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Well, I yeah. know firsthand and, and I got tired of that. So anyway, not long after that is when I actually get to where I try to turn my life around. I was tired of the cops fucking with me. I was mm-hmm. tired of drugs and I had no real record yet. All misdemeanors. I hadn't been really popped for anything big, big yet. So uh, I... I go to a a place called IST, the Institute of Security and Technology uh, in Miami. They had two in Pennsylvania and one in Miami, which made them at that time in 1989, the world's largest presidential bodyguarding and law enforcement academy. Mm, Uh, So I I graduated top three and top two in my class. and, And I was trying really hard. Although being fair, we drank and I smoked pot the whole time through because they didn't drug test us, you know, Miami. Uh, fuck, if you can't get pot in my well, anyway, that's beside the point. Well, it's a fact. Come on now. Uh, yeah. Miami's a port of call and every drug comes in there. You yeah, know, or, it's pretty or notorious. That's, that's where cocaine kind of comes in a big chunk of it, right? So Right, right, yeah. right. That's so, Mexico, uh, of course. I, I graduate there and I get into security, but before long, I'm back on drugs and back in L.A., uh, and that's where I got introduced in 1997. I got introduced to AA. A judge had seen me for enough misdemeanor drug possessions, like residue in a baggie, yeah. uh, uh, that he said, you're going to go to prison or you're going to do 90 and 90. I'm tired of seeing your face. Mm-hmm. 
So I did 90 and 90 and I actually did stay clean, pot, everything. And I did actually more than 90 and 90. I thought I was all that in a bag of chips. I did like 112 or something in 90 days and not just AA. I, they have everything in LA. Mm-hmm. Cocaine Anonymous, Crystal Method, CA, CMA, AA, NA. Uh, they even had Sex Anonymous there. Yeah. And so I get my, my, my chips for all that and the judge gets off my back. And within two months, I was in Reno, Nevada with the needle in my arm again, mm. you know, uh, and uh, and then that leads all the way up to the story I was telling you. I end up going through two marriages, two divorces, and one of them happened since I've been clean. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I go to take that girl to a meeting. I go to my first NA meeting with her. It was the hug that got me to come back. And I, I went every single day. I actually averaged about four meetings a day my first year mm-hmm. uh, because I liked it. I was getting hugs at all mm-hmm. these meetings. Uh, there was true care and concern and people like me and you that knew what it was about, knew what it's like to go through travesty uh, mm-hmm. and, and fucked up childhoods and, and every abuse imaginable. And, uh, so uh, I go from sleeping under bridges with needles in my arm. I even pushed a cart for a while in LA. I was high on meth and, and it was my home, but I got tired of that real quick. Like I'd rather just travel with the clothes on my back than uh, have to push my home everywhere because I wanted a few extra items. But uh, so I, I get uh, here to Spokane. I go to NA uh, to take my friend and uh, the journey this last three years of self-discovery healing. Um, and that's why I, I got to bring in step work. Um, mm. uh, for those that do 12 step fellowships, uh, uh, the meeting attendance, the having a sponsor, the service commitment, in my opinion, hell yeah, that'll help you stay clean, but step work will change your fucking life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just my opinion. It's, it's, it's what it's done for me. So I go from having a needle in my arm and and living under a bridge to helping my brother since my mom had died uh, and I found him again, put a two bedroom bathroom addition on his home and sell it for a quarter million dollars and move up here. I wish we did have light out right now. I'd show you my Mm -hmm. my driveway. Uh, it's just, it's, it's beautiful. I, I got 12 and a half acres. Oh, if wow, it wasn't right for recovery, I, I wouldn't have nothing, but I'm, I'm near the Canadian border in Colville. Okay. Uh, and it's just beautiful. I, I have, I own a Valley and uh, there's a spring fed stream long ways through it. Uh, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself. All right. So, so my, my wow, it day, sounds beautiful though, man. <laughs> oh, it is. Oh, it is. Yeah. Uh, Day 27 of being clean is my second divorce is finalized. Mm. Uh, and, and, and I made it through that clean. Uh, day 30, I cut down my marijuana grow. I skipped a little bit here. Mm-hmm. I was legal because of medicinal reasons 10 years mm-hmm. before everybody else, because medicinal mm-hmm. was legal in the state of Washington. Now it's 15, 20 years, but whatever. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, yeah, before they made it legal for everybody, you know, 18 and over, uh, I was legal and uh, I was I sold my excess to the dispensaries, uh, the medicinal dispensaries, and I grew a lot. And my belly button biological birthday just happens to be 420. Oh, wow. Uh, which is National Pot Smoker Day. That's, here, that's uh, pretty wild, man. Yeah. So what are the, <laughs> uh, 69, the year of Woodstock. Yeah. Uh, 
and, and my little joke on that is uh, since I was born in L.A., uh, my mom probably had her legs in the back of a VW van, hiked to Sweet Jesus and was probably on acid because I came out a little different. <laughs> I oh, little shit. Different. That's, I, that I, I got a good picture years. of that, man. <laughs> but yeah, so. So, yeah, and, and I like to throw a little humor in there because, I mean, it's facts, it's truth, but there, yeah, if, if you can't see the humor to somebody in recovery having a belly button birthday of a national drug day. <laughs> drug day like, Dude, like, we're not uh, a glum lot, bro. We're not a glum yeah, lot. Right, right, right. Not at yeah. all. And so I, uh, uh, at day 30, I cut down my grow. And I did that mm. on uh, a live video because I had to keep myself accountable. I knew if mm. I kept growing, I'm going to smoke this shit. I just, mm. I knew it. So I cut down my grow, which was hard. And uh, uh, at the time I donated all, all that was cut down and all of it to uh, veterans uh, mm. uh, through a friend that, uh, right on. and I, I got to be real careful how I say what I say. Cause I don't want to, uh, uh, Incredible to people who needed it. That's what happened. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And who I felt deserved it. And to this day, mm -hmm. I will say that for medicinal, true medicinal, not mm -hmm. trying to be the sweet little old lady running around trying to con doctors so I can get a prescription to get high. <laughs> but for those like with epilepsy that stops mm -hmm. their seizures, true medicinal need. I am a proponent for medicinal mm -hmm. marijuana way before the uh suboxone way before the methadone i think mm. they should do a lot of your looking into that that's just just my personal opinion and no i do not smoke pot i do not do cbd for this addict i mm. learned that i must abstain from all mood and mind-altering drugs to stay uh in recovery right on. uh oh and i i skipped a little bit all right so uh when my first wife left me I tried to hang myself and because uh, we were married for 12 years together for 14, raised two beautiful kids. Uh, and none of my kids that I mentioned are mine biologically, but they're mine to me because I mm -hmm. raised them from diaper to, yeah. to high school, basically. Uh, and uh, I tried to hang myself. I broke my neck in three places. Uh, they took me to a specialist here in Washington, tried to fuse it, but I did such a good job. He couldn't even get it right. And I need another surgery, but COVID hit. Mm -hmm. So that's where we're at right now. And I'm, I'm very high risk. So I'm not throwing myself in, in, in uh, hospitals where there's a whole lot of COVID right now. Mm -hmm. But so just to show part of where the, the drugs had led me to the depression, the, the, the uh, rock bottom, and that was my rock bottom. And, and, and my second divorce was my rock bottom. So mm -hmm. anyway, day 30 of being clean, I cut down my grow day 90 or 86, somewhere in there the uh father figure in my life dies of colon cancer a very mm. ugly way to go or mm. prostate cancer sorry very very horrible ugly way to go but uh all that he had, he had actually helped guide me and show me how to do the two-bedroom bathroom addition i i had mentioned earlier uh for the first time instead of saying good job just before he died and in, in a in a phone call with him um he said he was proud of me mm. and to fucking hear that me who mm. again, uh, I, I was the hater of me and to hear mm. him say that before he died and, and to hear him say uh, that he wished he had met me sooner. Mm. Um, Cause he knew a lot of my story. Uh, mm. It was a blessing. 
And yes, I'm sad that he's dead, but I'm crying tears of, of, of happiness because mm. he was proud of me before he died. That's pretty cool. Um, and uh, day 100 was my belly button birthday. So it was my gift to me to stay clean. Mm -hmm. uh, it just happened to work out that way of, of my recovery and clean time this time. And I stayed in uh, NA meetings hey, all day, wherever I could find them. And there happened to be an event that day too. I can't remember what, what it was. Maybe it was mm -hmm. a Valentine's event or something, but there was an event that day. Um, and so I got, oh, it was movie and something. But anyway, uh, uh, so I stayed around N.A. to help me stay clean. And uh, at six months, my daughter invited me to go see her wedding, to be at her wedding. I didn't get to be the best man. I didn't get to give her away. But I got to sit up front. And she stood up to the whole other side of the family. They all fucking hated me. You know, it's a fact. Oh, yeah. Well, because yeah. when you get a divorce, I, I've yet to see one that that is truly amendable where there's not bullshit from one side mm -hmm. or the other. And so they all hated me and she stood up to all of them. Mm -hmm. Good tears again. Mm -hmm. She stood up to all of them and said, my dad's going to be at my wedding and nobody's going to start shit. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's my so far, probably my most favorite memory. Right, right with uh the dad figure in my life saying he was proud of me uh wow. in my recovery and that's that's one of the blessings of recovery mm -hmm. uh and to make it through the holidays uh i had never made it through one holiday those were reasons to get high come on mm -hmm. now oh it's it's uh harry krishna day it's 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 let's go party it's columbus day let's go party uh so i uh i went to the marathon meetings uh, and I slept there. Literally, there's many people in my recovery circle that remember that. I slept there. And when I was awake, I tried to help chair meetings, but I participated. And that's how I made it through my first set of holidays clean, which was two years ago. Um, and then I did what I did before. And uh, I was blessed enough to actually start uh, an NA meeting. Um, there wasn't one in the morning in Spokane that was daily. There was one one day on Saturday and one day on Sunday at 10 a.m. Well, uh, I've also had insomnia my whole life. So I uh, not getting sleep and being up right away, getting in the shitty committee between my ears and doing that stinking thinking. I wanted a meeting. I wanted a place where I could go and sit and know I was with people where I wouldn't use and I'd be safe. And I kept mentioning that. And my friend finally goes, shut the fuck up and start one. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I've only got like 90 days clean. You have to have six months to do this or do that. Mm -hmm. You can't. And so he goes, ask your sponsor. You can at 30 days. So I asked my sponsor. My sponsor goes, yeah, you can start a meeting. So I started a meeting that happens to be uh, called the Wake Up Recovery Meeting. Ha uh ha, -huh, plug. Uh, and that's where, I met, uh, that's, where I met, that's where I met our mutual friend. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think I have permission to say his name. I should have asked him. But anyway, the, the guy that introduced me to you, that's my sponsee, mm -hmm. uh, was at that meeting or the night meeting. Uh, but I attend no less than two meetings a day. Uh, again, when they were live, I was doing four a day. But now I, I do two a day average. And again, one day solo. And this was actually really recently. I just needed to take a breather. Uh, have I not been to meetings in all three years and whatever it is, 20 days of my recovery now mm -hmm. for me, for mm -hmm. this addict, I've needed to start my day with the meeting and end mm -hmm. my day with the meeting to help me 
combat the shitty committee in between. And uh, you name the service position. I don't know. You said you you know about AA and whatever, mm-hmm. but I've I've been uh, I've not had a position in area besides GSR, but I've been in the activities. Uh, subcommittee. I've been in the fundraising subcommittee, and I've been an H and I panel leader, where we take meetings in mm. to recovery centers and stuff like that. I've actually been the the, the leader. I'm a, I'm a service junkie. I believe in it so much because, like I said, I tried to hang myself just before, uh, not long before getting into recovery. And this program, in my opinion, is definitely helping to save my life. Uh, and how do you repay that? There is no way to repay a life debt except for to do the best you can to carry the message, to uh, try to share your experience, strength, and hope with others, mm-hmm. to give that hug to the newcomer. Uh, and uh, being fair, there's a few people that have been annoyed by my hugs, but there's also also quite a few that said straight up at first they were annoyed by my hugs, mm-hmm. but now uh, they'll feel left out if I don't come up and hug them when they come to the meeting. You know what I mean? So, I hear you. so, uh, because I do, when you get that hug from me, it's full of love and, and mm. it's, it's not, you know, inappropriate love. It's just because you're mm. a human being and because we come from the same background of addiction and you deserve recovery as well. And, and I want you to feel welcome. So maybe you'll come back, mm-hmm. uh, because exactly. recovery recovery the way i look at it this is just my personal take on it we're the front lines of addiction mm-hmm. every time somebody comes in we're the trauma team we're the foxhole we're the safe place from all the missiles and all the ugliness and mm-hmm. every person that comes into a meeting has the chance at the miracle of recovery and i will do whatever i can to keep them in the middle of our herd as they say or to to have them want to come back and hang out uh, with people in recovery, because every time we go back out, we're a candidate for death. And mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of people will quote, uh, they say, I say this first, but no, I, you know, a lot of my sayings I got from old timers. Mm-hmm. And, and But it is a fact. I am tired of stepping over the dead bodies to get to my own recovery. Mm-hmm. And I've had people that I've hugged the next day are dead that have called me, tried to get experience from states away. A week later, they're dead. And I've had people that slept on my couch trying to help them find recovery mm-hmm. that are dead. Oh, and speaking of which, that four-bedroom, two-bathroom house we had, I turned into a recovery home and opened it and gave a lot of free rooms. It wasn't nice. about making money like a lot mm-hmm. of those places are and free couch space mm-hmm. uh, because uh, I never got those opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted, you know, we had the room. We and I'm certain room and people had- were treated with respect and dignity that they deserve. Yeah. And no matter, and I had people coming out of prison stay there. I've had murderers stay there mm-hmm. uh, because we are not who we were. Nope. If you're truly in recovery, you have mm-hmm. the right to be looked at for today, not your mm-hmm. past. Cause every single person on the planet has done something in their past. They're not proud of. I don't mm-hmm. care if it's a minor thing or a major thing, but in my opinion, and I'm very opinionated, every single person on the planet has a closet that they don't want certain things shown out of. Um, and, uh, uh, they all, everybody deserves a chance at the miracle of recovery and, 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 a, a, a chance to go someplace and feel like it's okay. They don't have to have that stigma of what they were two days ago. They can have a chance to breathe, to rest, to eat a good meal. I love to cook by the way. And I've fed so many people in yeah. recovery. Uh, when the pandemic first hit, I made 144 dozen 
not 144 cookies, 144 mm. dozen homemade uh, chocolate chip oatmeal uh, cookies, a uh, peanut butter chip too, as well, all mixed Holy together. Shit, that's and, a lot and, of cookies, and, and man. Coconut, and coconut, <laughs> yeah. I took, coconut. Well, I took a regular chocolate chip recipe and I add an extra bag of chocolate chips. <laughs> Or chocolate chip oatmeal cookies, sorry. I take out a cup of the coconut, I mean a cup of the oatmeal, and I add a cup and a half of coconut because it doesn't swell like the oatmeal. Mm. And I put it all together with, and sometimes instead of just one extra bag of chocolate chips, I'll throw in some peanut butter chips in there too Mm. and and a little cinnamon or whatever. (laughs) They were good cookies. Oh, wow, man. (laughs) Needless to say, they all got eaten, and not just by me. No shit. (laughs) Uh, uh, You know, so... uh, uh, recovery is a blessing and and it's mm. not only saved my life but my brother's four years clean oh, uh, right on. As, of, as of may if uh he'll be five years clean right um on. and uh it's one of the few things in this life that he is actually the big brother to me and yeah right um on. that's very and, cool and man it, i gotta be honest that's very cool yeah it is it is yeah. and he's the only he's my, my half brother same mom different dad mm-hmm. and he's the only one i have on the planet i didn't give some background on my mom she is israeli uh adopted mm-hmm. into america which makes me israeli by race but not by whatever mm-hmm. you know i i don't i don't go by the jewish uh religion per se well yeah you're uh, not I'm an israeli america. citizen right yeah, I have no, I'm not an Israeli citizen. I have because I was born in America, but I have a, mm-hmm. a yarmulke that she made me that uh, is somewhere in my storage. Uh, and uh, so which also my birthday, my belly button birthday is also Adolf Hitler's birthday. It's just there's so way so many Hitler more. was born on 420. Yeah, yeah, dude, and, that is unreal. And uh, Man, if so, that bastard didn't try to ruin everything. <laughs> and his mom was Jewish. His mom was Jewish. So guess what that yeah. means? By the Israeli race, it has nothing to do with the dad. By the mm. bloodline, they, the mother carries you for nine months. So if mm. the mom's a full Jew and the dad's a full German, it doesn't matter. Mm. You're a full Jew. Mm. If the mom's half Jew and half Lithuanian and your dad's full German, you're mm. half Jew and half Lithuanian mm. by the Jewish race, by the, their, okay. their, 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 their thing, because the mother nurtures you, whatever, while you're in the mm. womb. Uh, so uh, is that Judaic law kind of thing? Is that what it is? Yeah, they're, yeah. It's their right. It's their their, their belief, mm-hmm. uh, and and how they go by hereditary or whatever. Okay. Uh, so, but the point I was trying to get to is that's one of the other reasons I grew up in foster care and group homes and uh, boys' ranches is uh, race hate killed my whole mm-hmm. family tree. My mom's mm-hmm. parents were killed. She came over in 1944 at the tail end of the Hitler thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I have no aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews. And uh, so when you say no support structure, I'm very yeah. blessed that I have a higher power because I am here today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been through gang shootings. Uh, I've been stabbed. I've got so many different scars. I already told you on my body, I shouldn't mm-hmm. be here many times over. But I am, and, and my higher power had a purpose for me. And I feel in recovery, I found my purpose is to not to share my testimony, but to hear others, to listen to others, and to yeah. make sure they that's such a big thing, in my opinion, in recovery mm-hmm. is feeling heard, mm-hmm. feeling acknowledged, feeling like you're important and you're somebody too. So, again, anybody that listens to this podcast mm-hmm. from the bottom of my heart, 
I truly, truly hope you hear something that helps you in whatever recovery journey you're in and helps you to stay clean and helps you to heal. And if you ever meet me, I love you and you'll get a hug from me and you'll fucking have no question about it that I give a shit. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so you'll also so get great. some really good cookies by the sounds of it. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I still cook a lot for my brother. I post my stuff on Facebook all the time. Yeah. Uh, right uh, I can get with you later and give you my Facebook. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, and, are you, you can, are you uh, cool if, uh, do you want to give people your email, man, if they want to reach out to you? Cause like somebody oh, might hear yeah, your story and be sure. like, dude, I want to talk to this guy. And I don't, uh, well, I don't I'd have to be to. in I between. Know, I don't want to break protocol. Right. I nope. didn't know what your protocol was. And I was trying real hard. Uh, my name is John Secker. S-E-C-K-A-R. Uh, my, I can give out my phone number too. I mean, I wouldn't do your phone number on here just uh, in case. Uh, I would uh, hate well, for you to be accosted by uh, so like who knows the internet's yeah, a strange right. place, man. Yeah, How about just just the email, John. That would be great. Right. My my email is my first and last name, which is John J O H N Secker S E C K A R at gmail dot com. Perfect. Uh, yeah, uh, and I'm just man this podcast like thank you like the the emotional roller coaster i went over and, and you didn't make me feel guilty about jumping all over the place you thank actually you. let me uh, tell my story as best i could better than i've ever got to tell it. oh and i yeah. do have my life story uh because it's hard for me to write down i've actually said way more probably here in this podcast than is written mm -hmm. but it is on facebook uh and it's born american mm -hmm. in un-america Okay. It doesn't have my name attached to it uh, because, you know, some of the yeah. things I mentioned and, and I put a lot of the newspaper articles uh, mm -hmm. in there. Oh, and one little backup. I wanted to so, say. So, hey, how could I find that? How can we find the, uh, would you like us to attach the articles to this episode when it comes out? Sure. You would. You would Whatever just you have on Facebook. Yeah. Just copy those, those, those links. Okay. Uh uh, that's, that's perfect. You have every right to, and I appreciate that. Cause, uh, oh, it gives, I don't have to, but I'd like to help support what you're doing. Right. Cause it's oh, awesome. Right. It gives validity to what I'm saying. So they know it's not just made up stories. This isn't some guy trying to, uh, uh, embellish or whatever. Again, there's yeah. enough. Uh, and again, I'm going to court, uh, November, uh, mm -hmm. this next November, when it comes up, I will be going to court in a class action suit for, a lot of the Jay Bardi stuff and, and more of that will come out. Well, uh, I'm really glad but, that you're uh, doing that, man. And that other people are doing it because that shit needs to stop. Amen. And the mm. more that know about it, the more accountability that will come. And mm. I don't care if it's 30 years later that, that uh, open season stuff. Some of these people, uh, my, my, my first response is they need some fucking open season on their ass. But my second response is, <laughs> If I can come from a bad background and change my life around and be forgiven for my past, so can they, but accountability mm -hmm. and a recompense or a reckoning, whatever yep. you want to call it, should happen and made aware so it doesn't happen mm -hmm. in other places. People start looking behind the doors of mm -hmm. foster care and group homes and see what really yeah. does does happen there. The key, um, to what, the, again, key is, the key is total accountability, like you said right that's a yeah, big part yeah. of what we have to do to recover right 
Oh, so, yeah. And your stories, uh, you know, you have your own story because mm-hmm. I believe it or not, I actually listened to your whole po- your whole podcast the other day with my friend oh. uh, to get uh, uh, an idea. And and uh, you didn't you weren't the perfect kitty. Either. <laughs> I sure wasn't. I sure fucking wasn't. <laughs> Me either, you know, yeah, I was uh, far from it, man. Nope. And and, yeah. and I'm sure addiction addiction did its own number on you. And I'm I'm glad mm-hmm. you made it out of it to look at the platform you're on and look how many people you're helping and, and you've helped I sure me hope today. So. I got to release right so on. much in one and yeah, I jumped all over the place a little bit, but I got to release it in, in one venue and, and hopefully again help somebody else in, mm-hmm. in doing such. I, th- I think uh, for sure you will. I can't see how it wouldn't, John. Um, I wanted to thank you. Before I forget, I wanted to thank you for giving us a little bit of background on your mom's life, right? Because one of the things people like to do uh, in our day and age is they like to write people off and say, that's just a bad person, right? But you, what you said about your mom coming from, from Europe, right, where she has no family left, she, what she went through must have been horrific right like even though your mom's and, and the fact that your mom survived and all this th- these things happened um to me we don't i understand that doesn't justify it i am not justifying a thing she oh did, right right no i got right you, but what I, I i'm really appreciative that you gave us a whole picture of her right because she didn't just become abusive overnight for no reason right oh no her, like she told me her her dad put a gun to her mother's head, oh. didn't pull the trigger. Her, her, and this yeah. is her adoptive dad. She was adopted into America, yeah. put a gun to her mother's head. Her sister tried to drown her and her dad did it repeatedly say, I'm going to kill you and, and things Jesus. like that. And, and so she went through plenty of her, her own abuse yeah. and in LA at, uh, involved with gangs herself a little mm. bit or tried to be, uh, but yeah, uh, no, yeah. So thank you hurt for that, though, because people. it's important. Yeah, exactly. Right. Hurt people, hurt people, man. You said it. Um, I thank you so much, John, for coming on. Uh, do you, is there anything else you want to talk about, man? Because I think you, man, this has been no. awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, are you kidding? I can't I'm blown it was away, an dude. hour over an hour already. Uh, and yeah. I'm so thankful. You know, thank you. Just thank you. Uh, and uh I'm thankful to the person that led me to you and I'm thankful mm-hmm. to tell my story and to any that reach out, please feel free to reach out. Oh, I do want to say I live where I live. There's no uh, internet down on mm-hmm. my property. That's why I'm actually parked up here at the top of my property. So uh, I may not be able to answer the emails that I get for a while. It may take mm-hmm. me a minute, uh, but I try super hard to answer those that text me, call me, mm-hmm. email me because uh it's part of reaching out. And if we don't answer the person reaching out, then, then what do we got a business of saying, please reach out for, yeah. you know what I mean? You got uh, it. And, and they help me when they reach out. Uh, oh. You helped me by giving right me on. this venue, this venue to, uh, to share. Well, you've helped to, me. Uh, I can't even describe it. I'm probably going to get off here. I have to process this for a bit. <laughs> you've definitely helped me, man, for sure. Well, and again, uh, 85%. Oh, uh, one little story I did want to say that I didn't say uh, mm. was uh, I ended up in uh, Reno, Nevada in jail at one point uh, because of addiction. Uh, mm. I actually 
uh, got a ride from a dealer and was helping him sell some dope and ended up, uh, he had stolen the vehicle and had a like over an ounce of meth, uh, over an ounce of uh, cocaine, paraphernalia, all that. So I ended up with seven felonies and looking at a long time in prison. Well, because I was only the passenger and I had that law enforcement background and I had Mm -hmm. no real record, they let me off with diversion. But for my 111 days in jail, Mm -hmm. they let another inmate throw sandwich baggies full of fecal matter, shit, stool, whatever you want to call it, underneath my cell. Uh, and they'd splat it at the base of the door. So it'd go all over me, all over the cell. So it got to where every time they came out for tear time, I had to put my towel in front of the door and uh, stand on it. And I made uh, ele- I made 11 paragraphs in the Reno Gazette Journal. That links on the my life story as well. Mm-hmm. So when right. I say these things, and there's proof. Uh, of, so for 111 days, I had shit thrown on me and I sued the police and I won. Nice. Uh, out of court settlement. They didn't want to go. I had so much proof. They mm-hmm. didn't want it to go all the way to court. So they settled mm-hmm. out of court for 10 grand. And my lawyer ended up cutting down his percentage from 50 to 25 if I went ahead and took the settlement mm-hmm. and which I did, but I made 11 paragraphs in my picture in the Reno Gazette journal. So when I say I've had a shitty life, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I love it, man. That's the best way to end, man. 